So on today's show, the first recording of 2022, we had Ben Lakoff, co-founder of Charged Particles, an entrepreneur, investor, and podcaster. Charged Particles is a groundbreaking new protocol that lets you put digital assets inside your NFTs, nested NFTs, and is really illustrative of our thesis that we released towards the end of 2021, which is Metafi, where we're looking at applications of DeFi in the context of Metaverse. So we talk about lots of amazing stuff from DeFi plus NFTs. We talk about yield bearing, governance bearing, um, NFTs. We talk about some of the kind of regulatory considerations around those and his journey into the space with his co-founders. So you're going to love this one. Okay, so today on the Metaverse podcast, we've got co-founder of Charge Particles, Ben Lakoff. Welcome, Ben. Hey, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So you are an all-rounder. You're an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, investor, CFA qualified practitioner. I don't know how you'd otherwise explain that. And podcaster. Charge Particles is a groundbreaking new protocol that lets you put digital assets inside your NFTs, which... Sounds pretty awesome to me, and we're going to figure out what that is a little bit later with your help. But effectively, and I guess this is the link to the charge particles thing, now ordinary NFTs, if we're thinking in terms of neutral molecules, can contain a digital charge inside, be it ERC-20, ERC-721, or ERC-115, giving you unprecedented power to create nested NFTs. And I think nested NFTs is the is a kind of concept here. And effectively, you say, if you can digitize it, you can deposit it into your NFTs. Did I get it right? Is that the latest yeah, yeah, spiel? Yeah, you nailed uh, it. Nicely uh, done. Great, thanks. I mean, I, I kind of screwed up the ERC-1155, but hey, it's <laughs> still January. Um, yeah. So the reasons why we've got you on the show. So we're big fans of what you're doing over there. We're not investors. Um, but I think you're a really great illustration of our kind of latest framing and thesis, uh, which is Metafi. We published a paper on it ooh, kind of last couple of weeks of December um, 2021. And that's effectively looking at the role of DeFi in the metaverse. And of course, that is about the combination of DeFi protocols and innovations in NFTs. And so there's probably no better startup protocol that kind of illustrates that point. Um, so nested NFTs allow for multiple participants, I guess, in, in the early instances, we're talking about artists, creators, to collaborate on a collection um, and to kind of maintain a engagement relationship with their collectors or consumers, customers over time. So could you kind of think of it as, a, and we're, we're going to get, we're going to unpack this a little bit later, but just like very high level, can you kind of think of it as a way to, beyond like the, the innovation of it as a kind of financial instrument, um, it can also be a way to kind of almost a form of CRM, leveraging NFTs with, with fans, you know, collaborators, and I guess customers. Yeah, yeah, totally possible. I mean, I think we're at the phase with NFTs that people are no longer, we've moved on from the 
it's just a JPEG conversation. So when people are thinking of NFTs and all of the possibilities, um, a token that's non-fungible, a unique token applies to a ton of different things. So certainly with DeFi NFT, I, I mean, we snagged that Twitter. Uh, kudos to Rob, the original creator and founder of Charge Particles. But uh, in, in February 2020, so before kind of DeFi summer, and certainly before this renewed interest in NFTs, he was thinking about the mixing and mingling of uh, both DeFi and NFTs in new and innovative ways. So certainly, certainly um, subscribe to that thesis. That's for sure. Yeah. And actually, I didn't realize it was it was that early because that is super early. Um, it's crazy early. I, I mean, I joined them in February 2020 and the amount of calls that he was just explaining to me the value of NFTs beside, beyond just JPEGs uh, and kind of getting me over the line of oh my gosh, think of these things as containers, putting things inside of them in new, unique ways. Um, you know, he blew my mind in February 2020, which was kind of, or in uh, June 2020, which was in the middle of DeFi summer. And uh, we were already thinking about injecting DeFi into NFTs at that side, at, at that phase pretty intensely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think, the first time I really started to appreciate the kind of combination of of DeFi and NFTs was when Avicoche first came on my radar. And I guess now you've got all these derivatives like GameFi and stuff like that. But, you know, the idea, as you say, I mean, pretty much everything in life, most things in life beyond commodities or currency are, are non-fungible. And therefore, um, as you say, the kind of range of use case is almost unlimited. And if you kind of simplify it down to thinking that really you're depositing digital value, digital assets inside NFTs, I think all of a sudden, most people uh, if, should, should be getting a bit of an aha moment. But let's kind of first start with you and your journey. And I maybe just close off, I, I, I believe, and we're not going to necessarily get into a lot of the um, discussion around the tokens and token per se, but I believe it's one of the biggest NFT mints of all time. It's like 39,000 in two days or something. So, you know, a significant level of community traction. So clearly this is conceptually cut through with a big chunk of the community and why presumably you're enjoying so much success. Um, but let's talk about you and your journey as a founder um, as you mentioned, you're a co-founder and you joined a little bit later in the process. So it'd be great to learn a little bit more about the genesis story of Charged Particles, how you came to work with your co-founders and um, I guess, you know, how how you work together as co-founders as well, how you kind of delineate yeah. roles and responsibilities. Yeah, definitely. So Rob Secord, uh, he was dreaming up charge particles in late 2019, talking about it, you know, the idea of an NFT holding other assets and launched the like Discord and Twitter and kind of started ideating on this concept very early on in 2020, uh, had a proof of concept out in May 20. 20 as well. And sorry, if I get these dates mixed up, I feel like 2020 was such a weird year that oh, I, yeah. I somehow get them. Yeah. That is just it's a weird word coming out of my mouth constantly. So I constantly flop them. But um, I 
actually, um, Avogadro was inspired by uh, Rob early on in the early ideas of charged particles, which kind of kicked that off. So pretty cool. They're much more focused on the, the gaming aspect um, and were much more general. But um, then I met Rob in uh, Gitcoin Kernel. Well, it's spun out of Gitcoin at this point. So Kernel um, highly recommend any of the listeners that are interested in kind of going deeper down the Web3 rabbit hole to check out what Kernel's building. But um, started off as a bit of an advisor, having these calls with Rob and thinking through the business case and how to build this from like a nights and weekends hackathon type project, uh, which is a really cool idea into something full-fledged. So uh, we started working on it a lot, um, summer of 2020, and then um, he actually finished a, a full-time job with Pool Together in October. So both of us went off to the races full-time on charge particles at that point. And then just to kind of complete the timeline here, we we ended up raising initial pre-seed funding shortly thereafter um, in December 2020. Uh, followed by another seed round in uh, early, so February 2021. Uh, that's when we officially launched Mainnet um, and then like launched Polygon shortly thereafter. It started really building out the team. And I mean, our our funding rounds, pre-seed and seed, but um, total, you know, less than $2 million raised. So certainly not the uh, crazy um rounds that are happening these days uh that's for sure yeah it's amazing what's possible on on only two million dollars you know and you, <laughs> yeah. you know compared to like a hundred million dollars or whatever else is being raised so good 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 on you guys for um showing uh capital efficiency there yeah well i mean part of it is too we're we're it's it's a great idea and it's it, this like strong utilitarian piece of the the metaverse puzzle that we believe uh, will happen but we don't have that uh, bleeding neck use case that this solves a problem for so having an nft holding other assets yeah there's a million different things you can do with that and we'll have an api and sdk where people can easily build using this tooling but um there's not that that bleeding neck this solves this um problem that's so painfully apparent uh, at this moment. We certainly have a lot of theses, um, but that we'll continue to work through and continue to launch new iterations. But um, yeah, it's still pre-product market fit, as is many uh, pieces in in the space. Honestly, yeah. And so, just tell us a little bit more about your background. So, as I mentioned, there's kind of a qualification up front. I know you're a very active angel investor. Um, and, but yeah, tell, tell us a little bit more about you. So we just, we just got some context. Yeah, sure. So my background is in finance. Um, uh, so, well, fullback, I, I, I mean, I'm an American, but I, I spent 10 years outside of the U S so I'm very much a diet American at this point, I, I feel, but uh, most of those years were, uh, in corporate finance. So ending up in private equity, um, Ended up doing quite a bit of angel investing towards the latter stage of my kind of corporate career. Uh, and that's how I ended up getting into crypto, made an angel investment into a um, Thai crypto exchange. I was living in Thailand at the time. And um, that was in late 2016. So got 
really interested in crypto at that point. And this kind of took me from a investor to more of an operator. We ended up launching a company in 2017 that was uh, tools for crypto traders. That um, that was the first company that I was CEO of, and it ended up failing, which um, was very big blow to the ego, certainly, because uh, yeah, and um, but learned a ton as a founder what to do, what not to do, um, which has been ultimately much more beneficial. That's for sure. Uh, then. That part of that, it failed during the bear because most of our treasury was in um, crypto. And classic, classic mistake. Went, classic. Uh, yeah. Classic, and yeah. the thing is, I mean, you have so much conviction in the space, but we had enrolled in an accelerator, startup yard, actually, oldest European accelerator based out of Prague. And I was sitting, You part of these accelerated process, processes, you sit down with, you know, a hundred mentors that talk through what your hurdles are, et cetera. And literally all of them were like, you mean 80% of your treasury is in crypto? Like, don't you know it's gone down by 70% and it's going, you know, it's just going to continue to go down. So we pretty much bottom ticked it and like sold out the majority of it into stables and fiat, uh, which then just like solidified our very short runway. Um, and yeah, I'm still a little bitter. Had we like held it in crypto, we probably could have weathered the storm and still had still had a pretty good product. But um, yeah, the learnings from that have been really good. So then did a bit of consulting and kind of um, just bopping around the space, uh, angel investing, advising, um, and ended up in Kernel, which led me to Charge Particles. And so why was Charge Particles the thing that kind of got you back in the saddle wanting to be a co-founder what is it what is it about its purpose its opportunity or, or the team that kind of sucked you back in yeah it, i often wonder that right because being an operator is it, it's definitely over glamorized on all social medias but like elon musk's quote i think is the best and it's uh being an entrepreneur is like sitting alone in the darkness staring off into the <laughs> abyss eating glass so like sometimes the abyss gets less clear or more clear as it's less dark but you're just always eating glass so if the website breaks at 2 a.m and you have a launch like you're the one that has to fix it because <laughs> you just have to so i often think about why i would voluntarily go back to being an operator <laughs> but um Honestly, the the use case and the potential was just far too compelling. And at this point, the community and the team that we've built around this, um, it, it's just, it's truly incredible. And we genuinely believe the, the piece that we're building will be this core infrastructural piece going forward that, um, yeah, it's, it's something really special. So let's, let's kind of revisit, uh, my introduction where I kind of probably butchered uh, how you would describe at a high level what the protocol's about. And then and we can get into some use cases. I know there are several that you list on the website. But g give us an improved upon uh, kind of high level description as to the protocol and what it's kind of optimizing for. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you you didn't do that poorly, so uh, uh, you know, not, too, not too bad. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the TLDR is your NFT can be a container to hold other digital assets. So what we do is we take an NFT and we give it its own smart wallet. And then that smart wallet can hold other assets. And then you can do all the cool things you can do with a wallet. So you can create a uh, time lock. You can do, you know, you can put assets in this smart wallet in programmatic ways. Um, so that's that's kind of the overall view. And presumably it's multi-sig and you can have multiple people contribute to that wallet. Yeah, so not quite multi-sig. Um, it, it's basically you have a wallet, so say your MetaMask, and then your MetaMask contains tokens and it contains an NFT. And that NFT then contains its own smart wallet. So it's like layers down almost. Right. Um, so because it does have a smart wallet, um, anybody that has that address can deposit tokens to that smart wallet. So you think of it as like your NFT traveling around in different wallets. So sending it from one address to another within your MetaMask, for example, well, that NFT retains its own wallet, its own address that people could be sending to um, as well. Very cool. And so I guess as people imbue more utility to an nft that becomes increasingly powerful so obviously at the moment the big well i don't know if it's it is now but certainly you know towards the end of last year the kind of access token was a was a big thing right the idea that if you held a particular nft that would give you some form of access or or right of course people are also looking at nfts that give you yield and so whether it's a governance right to yield or a right to a future drop, we're already seeing utility loaded into an NFT. So why do you then need this kind of sub-wallet nested within it? Yeah, no, good, good question. I mean, the I think the short answer is it allows you to do new, unique things. So for, for instance, say you issue NFTs to your community. These NFTs give you... Governance voting rights, for example. Well, you could have this multi-layered approach within your ecosystem that a govern an NFT um, has certain voting weight, and then you could issue a fungible token, an ERC twenty, that has a different uh, voting weight, and then you could have that NFT that holds those fungible tokens having a different uh, voting weight, and. Presumably, like, so if you were to lock these fungible tokens in your NFT, then you have even more voting weight. So it it allows you to kind of be a lot more creative uh, with the way that you're doing things. And that's, that's strictly just based on um, governance design. So I think it, it kind of shakes up uh, the way that these governance... Um, the governance is designed for protocols. Yeah. So I guess it, it can also become part of that DAO stack. It, as you say, it can allow for uniqueness to be applied in the context of voting and governance where perhaps uh, a traditional governance token is is effectively fungible, indivisible from, from one another. They're the same. Whilst here, it can allow for some nuance, I guess, within 
within a DAO and within governance? And then how does it play out in the context of these kind of yield-bearing instruments as well, interest-bearing NFTs, as I think you call them on your website? Yeah, so that was that was kind of one of the initial sparks. So if your NFT is this basket, you this basket then is transferable, you can uh, gift it, you can send that entire basket and whatever's contained within it. So the idea of we, we have an integration with Aave, um, Aave's wallet manager, so that you can actually see within your NFT the principal and the accumulated yield, so the accumulated interest. So originally we were calling that charge, and this was the idea of charged particles. Particles are the NFT, you add interest-bearing assets to that NFT, and as it accumulates interest, it accumulates charge and thus becomes a charged particle. So this was, um, I mean, this is a this is an idea that uh, that accumulated yield, that charge, could could equate to something within the ecosystem for which it's developed. So an example would be a um, visual time savings account. So you have a NFT with a image of an, a car and that image gets more clear as more interest is generated within that NFT itself. So you're pulling apart that interest, that charge, and you're saying at, at, at these thresholds, the picture of the NFT changes over time. So you could visually show somebody the importance of savings and how compound interest works or something like that. A better example perhaps would be within gaming. So you have in-game assets that are represented as NFTs. If you inject those NFTs with interest-bearing assets, the accumulated yield could equate to the power within that that ecosystem. So you're incentivized to inject more uh, assets, more interest-bearing assets into your NFT to accumulate more charge to give you more power within that game. Then if you're battling with somebody, they could actually take that accumulated yield from you as like a bounty for winning winning the battle, um, which is pretty wild that you know your principal's safe but somebody would be taking the accumulated interest and thus resetting your power to a lower level sort of thing yeah and, and this is what i love about the interplay between nfts and DeFi is that on the one hand you're talking about the gamification of finance um which of course is not exclusive to web3 or DeFi. um it's kind of happening in tradfi or at least in you know the kind of fintech end of it um, but it, it kind of allows that to happen in a more permissionless environment. So you kind of got gamification of finance, but on the other hand, you've got the financialization of gaming. Uh, and I guess that's the kind of GameFi category that's that's emerging now. Um, and, oh, but, you know, that kind of thing keeps me awake at night, thinking through all the different possibilities. And I guess that's why you've got an SDK, right? Because there's no there's no chance that any one team can kind of come up with all the different ways that that might be applied. You, you want to just let people get at it. Um, exactly, exactly. And we we've organized within charge particles into sub guilds. Uh, so for the people that are perhaps not familiar, guild is like a fancy, fun gamer way of <laughs> describing different different divisions, perhaps in a traditional company. But um, we actually have 
like Book of Alchemy uh, has been created, and it's this uh, play-to-earn game built on top of charged particles. Um, and now it's it's crazy to see these things growing uh, and you know raising capital and spinning out as their own proper companies at this point, uh, but built on the tools that charged particles provides. And it's just one one example of like what can be done with this tech. Um, our music guild has been crazy, obviously, lately, and uh, we have one unchained music that's doing uh, music distribution as well. So some really, really cool stuff happening within the guilds because, like you said, I mean, <laughs> we can put the tools out there and the ideas, but um, human capital is for sure the scarce resource right now, and people willing to roll up their sleeves and uh, put in the put in the long hours necessary to like launch these things that really will gain some traction and get some use case. So is the guild thing, is it just a a more degen way of referring to a kind of internal centralized uh, department or do they function in a, in a slightly more decentralized way? Because it sounds like a, a, a venture studio, which is, is really cool. But like to what extent is that, you know, centralized versus decentralized? And is there any thinking around that? in terms of a pathway yeah so i mean i think we we subscribe to this progressive decentralization um, idea and it's certainly more centralized now but it's very much like in a decentralized fashion i mean we don't have a giant team so each guild has kind of elected their own guild leaders that uh, perform pretty autonomously from charge particles we host um, community calls focused for those individual guilds, but these guild leaders are are pretty much like calling the shots. But in terms of like Venture Studio, uh, no, I mean, we're not using the funds that we raise to uh, seed the investments for these sub guilds, but we're certainly adding human capital and sweat equity to try to help these things get breathe breathe a little bit more life into them that's for sure right right and so could you tell us about some of these guilds then let's let's kind of meet meet the guilds yeah so there there's a post that needs to go out uh so i'm i'm drastically unprepared for this that <laughs> i haven't put together but they've music and gaming and developer guilds certainly are the biggest ones at this point uh but we have one we have a couple that are more focused on uh, altruistic operatives. So uh, one idea that always comes up with interest-bearing NFTs, right, is that you have an NFT, it's generating interest. You're able to direct that accumulated interest to another wallet. So choose a charity and uh, you know incentivize people to deposit assets into that NFT and all of the accumulated interest goes to a charity. So we've got a, a charity guild around that that is... Um, that is focused on, you know, how can we use this in a new, unique way? Think Patreon, think, uh, think donations, uh, and, and and use this tech in a pretty pretty sweet way. So I'll just I'll read through the ones that we have in our Discord uh, yeah. charity guild. That's the first one, collectors guild. Uh, so this would be art and NFT collectors development guild. So developers, ecology guild, uh, which is doing some pretty cool stuff with uh, tree planting and carbon fashion guild, uh, which also is super cool. We had a t-shirt with $10,000 in it sold as an NFT. 
So one of the top top 20 most expensive t-shirts I ever sold, which is kind of cool. Gaming, music, uh, and visual arts. Wow. So we've got a few. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Um, so so the, I guess the big question, and you know, you're a regulated person, right? So you, you understand this, um, especially in the US, well, I'm presuming in the US context as well. So uh, and this isn't a trick question, by the way. This is kind of just tr- tr- trying to make sense of it all. So um, at Outlier, we came to the conclusion, I would say, end of Q3 last year, maybe a little bit before 2021, that you know, everybody was thinking a lot of the growth in DeFi is going to be coming from better integrating it into CeFi and TradFi or um onboarding real world assets into it especially in the context of nfts and um and we definitely believe that's a thing that's going to happen but given the kind of regulatory environment slightly regressive approach to innovation especially in a us context sadly um we we also became convinced that that's like on a long term horizon and the more we thought about it well Where's growth in DeFi going to come from? We believed it would be from the metaverse. It would be from NFTs. And the reason being is there's billions of dollars of value that is already digital. It might it might not yet be in an NFT, but it, it could very easily be um, uh, realized in the form of an NFT or even a derivative in the form of an NFT. Let's say if a, a platform didn't want to let users uh, resell skins as NFTs. Maybe you can create a, a black market with a derivative NFT without the permission of the platform, right? If you have some way to execute that transaction and transfer in a trustless way. And we we increasingly became convinced that that's where we think growth in DeFi is gonna come from, just because you don't need anybody's permission. It can, we can continue to innovate ahead of regulators. Um, and, you know, there's billions and billions of dollars of value trapped in the digital economy as it is today, especially in the context of the creator economy that could become collateral in DeFi um, for billions of people that we would argue are financially excluded from the current financial system. So, you know, you could have a million dollars worth of gaming skins you know try to go to a bank and get a short-term loan or worse a mortgage you know you're going to be laughed out of the room try and be a uh, influencer or creator or whatever on tiktok or youtube you know your income is irregular it's probably not even recognized as a profession um by the existing financial system but in DeFi, it, it all it requires is a market of two you know, for somebody else on the planet to believe that the thing that you have is valuable, and then they might they might lend lend to you. So that was kind of a uh, what led us to the Metafi thesis. And but you know, clearly within that, if you look at a lot of the innovations within the kind of current regulatory environment, NFTs with yield, NFTs with voting rights. Um, you know, we we. It's still a bit gray, right? And I, I totally understand that there might be arguments made that some of these things sound very equity-like and therefore uh, securities. What's your perspective on that? Firstly, 
you know, the argument that growth in DeFi will come from MetaFi or whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever you call it internally. And secondly, um, you know, how do you understand these innovations in the context of the kind of regulatory environment that we are all operating in today? Yeah, good question. And I mean, to preface this that I'm not a lawyer, certainly not somebody's lawyer, definitely not legal advice. Um, and and all of this is very um, bleeding edge, very gray. I think it's important to note that much of the rules, the relevant rules around this uh, were created in the 1930s and 1940s, and you're trying to the, apply them to what would exist now, uh, which is which is very difficult. But that being said, uh, for all the founders or prospective founders out there, I mean, these are very real rules um, and people do go to jail. So even though we believe one thing and think that things should be a way, um, that doesn't really matter a lot of times and you will and uh, will will go to jail and will um, bad things will happen. So definitely, you know, talk to a lawyer and, and think about these things deeply before doing anything. Um, but that's the unfortunate reality, right? I mean, I talk to founders all the time and say, if, if you don't want to take any risks in terms of like, well, the regulation is not clear in this way, the answer is don't do anything within this space because it is all gray. A lot of these NFTs are going to be considered securities. A lot of these ERC-20s will be considered securities. NFTs with other attributes, um, DeFi attributes, other uh, value attributes certainly will be disc, um, described or, or classified as securities. So then wherever that security is being, or that NFT that is deemed a security is being traded, these guys will need to make sure that they're doing KYC and AML and, and all of these very, very important things. So yeah, I think there's like the reality and then the, the way that I wish that it was, that's for sure. Um, but it is, it is like a regulatory unclear. Um, and, and part of it is you, you just got to, I'm fumbling around in my words for sure. Thinking about my lawyer, thinking of whatever <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say yeah. here. That's for sure. No, I, I know um, it was a bit of a hospital pass, but, but yeah. But, you know. So, so it's, it, it's a fast moving space, right? And you just have to be aware of the, the current laws. A lot of these things will be classified as securities and you just have to be super, super careful. But thinking about like where the growth comes from. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, using a a lot of value is locked up in nfts these things do have value we most people listening to this subscribe to the belief that they will continue to have value and will continue to have more value overall so thinking about nfts as collateral like obviously this will unlock a ton of value within the space and re-energize like DeFi in general but nfts are very difficult for in terms of pricing and liquidity but by definition they're unique tokens so how do you just blanket price uh across a, an entire collection or um characteristics it's it's very difficult so a lot of those core pieces needed to 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 create this kind of liquid 
market um, are missing and haven't been developed. And then um, even thinking about what that looks like, we don't really know. We're applying, uh, this is how it's done with ERC-20s in a, a, a market where everything is fungible and not unique and liquid. Um, so it works very different for non-fungible tokens. Yeah, and obviously a lot of DeFi today isn't set up to be able to handle NFTs as collateral, but I think you know with time, there's enough of an economic incentive for that to happen. And by the way, you know, to just kind of give my my perspective on the question that I asked you, because I think it's only fair. It's, it's a tricky question to ask, but I do think you know it's not talked about enough. You know, so as you say, I mean, you said all the right things about how how you might navigate it, consider it, take legal advice. But one thing, you know, having been in crypto with Outlier anyway for eight years now, in the early days, I think we were too conservative. We had a lot of very traditional finance people um, at Outlier, and we were naturally conservative in our advice that we gave projects. Um, I think we were too conservative, and I think what regulators have shown is the reality is they can't keep up. And sometimes it is better to kind of just act and ask for forgiveness later and pay the fine. <laughs> now, I'm not obviously that is not legal advice, but you know, if if the mission that we are on here is to create a more inclusive financial system, um, and I honestly believe that's possible with MetaFi and, and the open metaverse. And I also think that the level of growth, economic growth, GDP that is going to be created from all of this stuff um, is is going to be huge. It's going to be, I believe, 10 times bigger than what China's been to global GDP. Um, and of course, that is, you know, that generates income for people in a low to no growth environment. Um, it generates taxes because, of course, whether they want to recognize it as a security or not, they definitely want to tax your Oh, yeah. gains. Um, so I think increasingly this will be a source of tax and taxation. And so, you know, when it's when it's becomes the primary form of growth and the primary form of taxation, I think regulators will begin to think about it very differently than they than they do now. Um, but obviously we we've got a, a long, arduous pathway to get there. And I'm grateful for innovators like you guys that are creating the tooling to make that possible, right? Because ultimately it's for people to take your tooling and then look at the risks that they're prepared to take as a founder to, to kind of realize that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at something that uh, happened like over the past couple of weeks is we, so taking an NFT and putting vested tokens inside of it. So playing off of what we were talking about with different governance tokens locked in an NFT, so you take this same idea and you have the founder tokens put in an NFT or you have investor tokens put in an NFT. Like, does this make that NFT a security? <laughs> Absolutely. But does it allow that founder or that investor to take their tokens, take custody of their tokens within their NFT on day one of launching? Yes. So then that, so take an investor, for example, he puts a uh, million dollars into this protocol, he gets a million dollars worth of that token uh, locked in an NFT that unlocks, say, in a year. So on, on day one, he gets that NFT with the tokens inside. So now um, 
with a simple change on snapshot, those tokens have voting power. So that changes the way that the token distribution is designed from the beginning, knowing that that investor has a million dollars plus of voting power. But also that investor then can transfer that NFT to a new wallet. So, uh, you know, maybe your MetaMask has been, um, well, hopefully you're not holding that in MetaMask. Maybe your wallet has been compromised. You can transfer it to a new one. You can gift it to somebody. You can uh, sell it before those tokens vest. So um, maybe you lose faith in that team. You can borrow against it, right? Yeah. And then the big one is you can use that as collateral and, and, and get a value today. So maybe you never have to unbundle that and sell it. So it really allows teams to do this or teams and investors in a, in a crazy u- unique way. So uh, Paragon's DAO just launched um, yesterday and their founder tokens are locked within charge particles NFTs. So it also gives you the ability to create a beautifully designed, as they've done, NFT that houses those tokens. So you know, after you pull your your founder tokens out of that NFT, you still have a pretty freaking sweet NFT um, that has been like the shell or the vessel to uh, carry your founder tokens, um, which also is super cool. Very cool. So I think I said to you off air that we, we try to always keep these. We're trying to do a new format to get these to be 30 minutes. We're like at 48 minutes, which is <laughs> just as a byproduct of having a great chat, right? I mean, and, we, and I could certainly go on for another hour with you. There's so many questions that each answer kind of triggers a, a new question. So we'll, we'll have to definitely get you on again. Maybe to just kind of close off, what, are you, what most excites you about... 2022. And that can be specific to charge particles. It could be a specific use case, or it could be something more more generally about the industry. Yeah. Good question. I mean, honestly, it's been like such a whirlwind of 2021 that what is really uh, nice with charge particles is now we have a good team. We have a good uh, initial products. So I'm very biased, but obviously very excited about the prospects of charge particles and the things that we've got cooking. So that's what gets me most excited. But um, yeah, just in general, like the space is so cool and there's so many awesome things going on and really, really interesting, intelligent people that you get to interact with on a daily basis. So I'm just super grateful to be doing what I'm doing and hopefully can do this for a very, very long time. Yeah, I mean, where else would you work, right? That's that's the question. What what could possibly com- <laughs> compare? Um, well, look, Ben, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for being my first guest of 2022 and really looking forward to seeing what you do over there at Charles Particles. So thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.